Hello, and welcome to Supply Chain Next. I'm your host, Richard Donaldson. Join me as we explore the ongoing evolution of supply chain, from the challenges practitioners face every day to the ongoing digital transformation of the entire value network. And welcome to the next episode of Supply Chain Next. And I am thrilled to be here with Tyler Wood, uh, who is out of Florida. Hey, Tyler, how you doing? Good, good, Richard. How you doing, man? Fabulous. Uh, uh, really looking forward to the conversation today and, um, you know, and going through and kind of getting ready for it. And I already asked you to sort of pre the show here, pre the recording, but I'm going to just jump right into it. I mean, there's a story here that I think people need to know about you and who you are, and you've written a book about it. And, you know, we'll get into sort of your career stuff, but I'm going to jump right to that sort of elephant in the room. Because that to me, and I've, I've actually picked up the book, I haven't read it yet, um, but would love to hear from your, from your own experiences. So I think that it's just, a, it's amazing, you know. Sure, sure. Thank you. Well, you know, it's been a few years, I think this Halloween, it's funny you ask, um, this Halloween will be the seventh anniversary of uh, rescuing my son from Bangladesh, uh, wow. who was abducted by his mother. And wow. I was forced into a situation where I had to go there and um, find the resources on the ground and the friendships and the human connection uh, mm. with people that cared uh, that would go out of their way to, uh, you know, make a difference and do something right. Yeah. And uh, it was amazing. I'm, you know, I made, you know, friends out of the whole thing that uh, will you know, last forever. So. Uh, it was a bit cathartic for me to write a book about it, but the forward is kind of a mini manual on how to avoid or resolve international parental child abduction. Mm. Well, I mean, first and foremost, that, and I'm, I'll, I'll ask kind of the obvious question there is, how did that change you? I mean, A, it's your child. B, you're going through something that is honestly like you, I mean, they write books about this, you know, no pun intended, right? Um, and But when you actually can hear someone firsthand, I mean, you you kind of, go over it, but there must've been a deep impact to you as a person, a human, as a father, as a human being, and just kind of what you went through. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I think it's almost an exercise in patience. Yeah. Uh, really. And ultimately I think when problems are confronted, you know, I'm confronted with problems. I think that, um, oh, that's not so big of a problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're right, right, right. Your, your prioritization changes quite a yeah, bit. Yeah, you know, that, right? I came back and I was really, uh, um, I think, another thing also, it, it forces uh, one to kind of think about, you know, being the best parent you can be. And I think some people and some parents may have their kid, you know, half the time or a quarter of the time, or, and uh, they're not really present. And I think mm -hmm. that uh, being present uh, and enjoying their life uh, and watching them grow and spending that time with them is, uh, you know, irreplaceable. Yeah. yeah. So I do quite a bit. I do, you know, we skateboard around the lake all the mm. time. We go, you know, play on the beach and paddle boarding. We have a you know, beautiful, beautiful life together. And, and let me ask, and, and, and I only ask because you guys were chatting before the show, um, Oddly enough, I have a very close friend of mine that went through something similar, different, but similar, obviously, and, and having, but Venezuela instead of Bangladesh. Um, but is there any reconciliation with the mom in any way, shape, or form, or no? Yeah, there was a, well, I think there was reconciliation with the family, okay. um, as well as, you know. To That's some good. Extent, yeah, to some extent, uh, you know, the mother yeah. um, and communications and reorientation. But I mean, ultimately, it's a, it's, it's something that eventually will will happen when everyone right. is, you know, older and right. not have to deal with such, you know, extremes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, again, it's just one of these where, you know, I'd, I'd, well, first of all, yeah, you can't make this type of stuff up. It's, yeah. I mean, what a, what a ordeal to go through. And I think you hit the head of the nail. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a life changer in that, you know, life, life itself has a different view as you yeah. describe kind of coming out of something like that, right? Well, I think most people would see this challenge where, you know, when a, you're a four-year-old child figures out how to Skype and says, you know, daddy, I just want to come home. <sighs> and, you know, uh, you know, that's what you're like, you got to, you know, program yourself for, you know, getting the job done. <laughs> right, right, right. 
well, hey, man, I, I you know, we'll, 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 we'll move on from that. As, as the yeah. listeners will see, there'll be a link to the book and everything. I just picked it up. Honestly, I haven't read it yet, but, yeah. but definitely want to dive into it. And, yeah. um, you know, Thanks. again, one That's of those, fine. one of those, um, stories uh again most people to get a chance firsthand to hear how something like this you know happens and yeah. you know it's just anyways we'll leave that one there let's get back to the professional so, stuff so uh so so I had to get that was for me that was sort of the elephant in the rooms i'm like oh my god you know, <laughs> go through this and, all right like because you could have come on and just been like all right i'm out of, i'm out of work i'm going to be a monk now or something like that right because it's like yeah. i mean that's that type of people have those types of reactions but all right mm-hmm. so that said put that aside tyler wood Let's talk about your career. Let's talk about kind of how you started, how you got into where you're at. Um, just, you know, kind of a walkthrough at a high level of, you know, coming out of school, you've got a very interesting career path that led you to where you are now in what you're doing in the carbon recapture. But but let's just talk, let's set the stage. You know, how, how did you get sure. here? Uh, well, you know, it started uh, 20 years in the hedge fund industry. Um, and it, at first it was a basket of, uh, eight floor traders that had a minimum of 25 years on the floor. Mm-hmm. So they were what was known as like the best risk managers on the planet. Um, and I got to learn a bit about, uh, their trading styles and then everything kind of shifted towards, uh, systematic and algorithmic and, you know, faster, uh, frequency trading. Mm-hmm. But ultimately there was a lot of, um, you know, medium to long-term trend following in, mm-hmm. you know, commodities and the raw materials of civilization. And so you kind of start tracking, you know, the, the supply chains and what's mm-hmm. important and what makes the world run. And, um, so I, I was kind of forced into learning tremendous and amazing trade thesis over okay. the period of time. And, um, uh, it ultimately led to, you know, identifying, what we're going through in this transition as the biggest opportunity in the history of mankind to mm-hmm. shift from a linear extractive economy into a circular regenerative one. Right. Right. And, and this is sort of, again, sort of put some time, time frames around it. You and I are pretty close to the same age. So I'm thinking this is sort of the nineties when you're kind of doing the hedge fund thing ish. Uh, yeah. Late nineties following into it. And then um, it was, it was, I, I was funny. I was, I was a student of money, you okay. know, the rise and falls of monetary systems. I was living on Martha's Vineyard at the time. And you, you know, in the winters, you can choose to either be an intellectual or an alcoholic. Oh uh, my goodness. I know. was just across the bay from you in Nantucket. I lived there yeah. for a, a full winter. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> right it's beautiful. I love it. <laughs> right. It's like a beautiful right. place, but the winters are, you know, you got to figure out what to, to occupy your mind with. And, uh, Really, just studying the rise and falls of civilizations and, and money, um, and uh, fascinated with me, and then it got me involved in the you know hedge fund industry, uh, okay. working with a firm out in New York. Okay, and hedge funds, though, and again to be specific, because uh, you 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 talk about looking at commodities and specifically then getting into the supply chains and the raw materials. Again, by definition, hedge funds can really focus on anything, right? So why were your hedge funds or how did you end up in an area that sort of led you into these commodities, which led you to raw materials? And then we get into circularity. I mean, was that by design or you just kind of fell into it? I think, I I mean, maybe it was by design in some way that I was just kind of following uh, my, my, uh, my natural inquisitiveness of what's Mm -hmm. happening. You know, uh, ultimately the farm bill, in 2018 happened and it was the hemp uh, legalization and that led us into understanding some of the the lack of infrastructure and the supply chain mm-hmm. uh, of, of that and the processing of all the biomass mm-hmm. and then uh, ultimately led us into um, you know the the most advanced indoor vertical high density biofactory in the world that right. uh, captures carbon more efficiently than any other process. Right. Right. And so, okay. So that, okay. So that kind of leads you into the carbon, but somewhere in around, it looks like looking at your CV somewhere in the sort of 2010s, 2012, 2013 was a transition away from investing from a hedge fund kind of investment banking background yeah. to really get into what you're doing now, which is focused on sustainability and carbon recapture, and we'll get there. Yeah. What 
precipitated that change and what was the, you know, wh- why did you leave the investment world to move into this area? Yeah. And, and this is, I should, I should uh, bring this out. You know, I met, um, th- it all started to change when I met our CEO, Alan Witters. And okay. um, I've met a lot of people with brilliant trade thesis and implementation of the trades, but I never met a brilliant operator that knew how to build multi-billion dollar companies and mm-hmm. large $300, $400 million CapEx and OpEx budgets mm-hmm. <clears throat> and you know, building critical infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that really was a, a breed of a different person, different mindset of what mm-hmm. I dealt with before. And whenever I'd introduce him to people, or he always seemed like one of the most experienced um, people I've ever met. And so we just developed a great friendship over the years. And then about three years ago, uh, formed Gravitas Infinitum. Right on. Okay. So, so let's talk about that Gravitas Infinitum. I mean, that's a pretty unique value prop. Uh, maybe give a description and you know, what, what got you, I mean, besides obviously the, the cult of personality, uh, who's running it and founding it, but, uh, there's more to it than that. I mean, there's something that brought you here, right. At a, at a more fundamental level. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're uh, really looked at it as trying to build the best company on the planet, but it's, you know, it takes a lot to just to say that, but then it takes a lot to to actually implement. Mm -hmm. And so we went about um, really looking at um, impact Mm -hmm. and um, ESG, uh, sustainable development goals, and took that into account to create um, zero waste closed loop um, systems okay. that are circular, and um, you know it's. And I've learned so much. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm honored to be working with such an amazing team, and it, it isn't just Alan. It's like our whole team. It's almost a, turned into a family because mm-hmm. we've all worked so hard at uh, creating what we're creating, and. Um, it's, it's kind of like, uh, and I mentioned this, I think, when we chatted before, when you're uh, by yourself dancing at a music conference, yep. and you're the only one dancing, and you're like, man, this music's great, you yep. know, but no one's dancing, uh, but they just haven't tuned in to right. you know, what you're listening to. And then all of a sudden, it becomes the energy center of mm-hmm. the whole party. Mm-hmm. And at this point, I think that we've, kind of, we've got a real party going on. Got uh, it. Uh, some exciting uh, momentum and, you know, the scale that really moves the needle for what we need to do for climate change. Well, let's talk about that. What specifically, Gravitas the Item um, has a couple different things, or maybe if I remember, there's a, there's a parent company with a couple different things going on. Yes. Um, and they're both interrelated, but you've got the carbon capture. Maybe we can talk mm-hmm. about that. Sure. And then the other kind of offshoots, right? Because there's a little bit of an ecosystem you guys have developed. And unlike most people who are doing carbon accounting, Mm-hmm. or carbon offsets, you actually have gone directly at the problem and said, okay, if there's 03 to 0.4% carbon in the atmosphere, we're going to go pull carbon out and reuse it for some other stuff. So let's, let, you know, maybe you can give us a little more details on that. Yeah. Um, well, we have to shift our supply chains from hydrocarbons to biocarbons. Mm-hmm. And you can't be you know, monocropping corn for ethanol and driving up all of our food prices. Right. Um, so within a hundred thousand square foot footprint, we've got the equivalent of 25,000 outdoor agricultural acres mm-hmm. growing 24, seven, 365. And that's actually mining carbon right. out of the atmosphere. Right. We're mining carbon out of the atmosphere incredibly efficiently. Mm-hmm. And so instead of outputs like in similar to like direct air carbon capture and sequestration, burying it underground, we're actually creating uh, bio uh, nano biomaterials mm-hmm. that are extremely high value and right. are critical uh, because they're carbon negative. Yep. And so everything that everything's built of in the future that were built from hydrocarbons in the petroleum industry. It's now being built by biocarbons. And, and let's, let's differentiate that, right? So, because sometimes, you know, I think you live and breathe this stuff. 
you know, almost like the spice chamber in Dune, right? So, yeah. so sometimes people need, we can step back and can help, help us understand difference between a hydrocarbon and a biocarbon. And then the follow-up yes. question is, why is it then when you produce these biocarbons from capturing carbon directly from the atmosphere? So you've got, you know, a big plant that's actually sucking air in from the atmosphere and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, extracting carbon, which then mm-hmm. is used to produce this biocarbon, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what, what is the, the use cases for those, right? So hydrocarbon versus biocarbon, sure. and then let's get into actually how you do what you do. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So uh, hydrocarbon is uh, essentially fossil fuels. Right. Earth-trapped. Yep. Um, and biocarbon is actually, you know, we're pulling this from biomass mm-hmm. um, is the carbon inside of biomass. Okay. Like trees. Yep. But we're doing it with hemp. Um, and you can also use it with other, um, you know, feedstocks. Okay. Um, and so <clears throat> we process those plants and a certain percentage is fuel. Mm-hmm. And then the rest is biochar. Okay. And then we process the biochar down into um, activated carbon, uh, graphite, graphene, Mm-hmm. And even diamonds. Mm-hmm. And how is that? How is that specifically? How is that? How are you saying when you say it's carbon negative? I think I know the answer, but I'm kind of curious. How is that carbon yeah. negative? We we uh, look at it as like a carbon footprint. Is that it was it was from uh, uh, air extracted, uh, you know, uh, uh, carbon. Okay. Okay. And that's the you know the critical component of it being carbon negative. It is that it was taken from the atmosphere. So in a way or not in a way, what you're actually doing is saying, okay, all you pollutant people, whatever's going on here that's producing this carbon, that's you know doing the push from 03 to 0.4% in the atmosphere, you're actually first and foremost pulling the carbon out of the atmosphere, therefore reducing that footprint, if you will. Absolutely. And then using that in a means to create a product that is infinitely more recyclable, circular, biodegradable, whatever, than original hydrocarbons. Correct. Okay. And then, so, and, and what I want to also clarify is, okay, so pulling carbon out of the air, got that. But then you mentioned kind of the biomass that's used. So is that, is that a, is that a part of the equation to create the output? So you've got to have some, something yeah. to attach the carbon to, to. Yeah. The plants are the catchers. So we're the ultimate technology that we're relying on is photosynthesis. Interesting. And so we're allowing photosynthesis to allow the plants to do their work, just like trees capture carbon out of the atmosphere. So are our plants. Interesting. And uh, we're doing it, you know, in a footprint that doesn't um, uh, diminish the biodiversity of our, you know, of our, you know, land. Right. Right. It's incredible efficiency and it moves the needle. So we're, we're mining carbon out of the atmosphere at, uh, you know, at less than the cost of mining hydrocarbons out of the Earth's crust. Wow. But the interesting component about mining um, oil is that you have proven reserves and you have a decline rate. Mm-hmm. And that's the mathematical parameters that they're bound by. Mm-hmm. But for us, we're mining carbon out of the atmosphere, so we have unlimited proven reserves Mm-hmm. And we don't have any decline rate. Yep. Yep. And so. your and your output again is actually an alternative to all this other carbon stuff in the supply chain, if not more obviously environmentally friendly and sustainable, mm-hmm. but arguably economically beneficial. And potentially, especially if you're dealing with graphene, a better product from a qualitative or quantitative perspective. Yeah, that, that's been the biggest problem with graphene to actually capture any serious market share is that it was so expensive. Right. Um, and each of our facilities, as we scale, um, will be able to provide, you know, communities, you know, the world around, essentially, with uh, mm-hmm. both graphite and graphene, but it's our trademarked biographite and biographene. That, Are you? Um, yeah, oh, right. Sorry. Oh, I was going to say, so are you then, is that, so you're, you, you are selling some of that today. So what is that coming right, like? Now a, it's more samples. It's more like okay. uh, samples, you know, to people, but uh, it's, 
to get it to a uh, uh, steady state in a smaller facility that's already been, you know, warehouse. We mm-hmm. can build one in about six to eight months, and then wow. fourteen months for a full high density biofactory. Wow! And that's that really moves the needle for carbon capture. There is a a lot of mention from Climeworks about their first facility in Iceland capturing four thousand uh, tons of carbon a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, high de- our high density biofactory would do that in less than two weeks. Jeez! And instead of burying carbon under the ground. We have a material that's we produce a material that's uh, 200 times stronger than steel, 450 percent right. more efficient than lithium, and a thousand percent more conductive than copper. Right. You've got you know the, the raw materials that we need to modernize. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, absolutely right. Now, now another kind of question here is that because you're 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 in a multi you're in a multitude of of, of gains here. One, first and foremost. Removing carbon from the atmosphere. Awesome. I mean, you could just do that and, you know, kick ass, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> now yeah. you've, you've tied it to, we're going to also create, though, this material, graphene, right, which has all the properties that you just outlined, and begin to find how to, you know, we're doing it in a way that's more efficient, sustainable, economical, yada, 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 and therefore you can actually bring it into mass production as you guys kind of start getting scale. My question is, here, now... Where does 3D printing fit into the output of the material that you guys are creating? Because to me, it feels like you could either create sheets of graphene or create a graphene-like powder. It should not matter, I don't think, to your production. But then you can actually sell two different types of graphene, kind of finished graphene or powdered graphene for 3D printing uh, requirements. Yeah, we we can actually uh, produce both top-down and bottom-up. Uh, graphene, wow. as well as a biographite, uh, okay. to offer to, you know, even graphene producing companies, so they don't have to buy their source material graphite uh, from graph, you know, earth trapped graphite, you know, mines. Right. So um, we're trying to move the needle on decarbonizing, and if we can minimize all aspects of needing to pull stuff out of the earth. With a huge carbon footprint, we can air mine the materials necessary uh, for the next stage of modern civilization. That's awesome. That's amazing. All right. Well, I, 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 first of all, just unbelievable. I mean, it's just a, such a powerful story. The timing of it, you know, all, all the, I mean, forget the timing. I mean, it's just a really cool story, right? I mean, <laughs> just like, well, it's, I mean, it's, it's very sci fi. Like, I'm just imagining these air capture. I mean, it feels like something, you know, when you watch the movie Dune or something like that, some, you know, some mm-hmm. air capturing thing and stuff's yeah. getting, you know, we have some good imagery right. that's coming out soon with our marketing guys. You'll, you'll like it. Oh, that's cool. Right on. Okay. All right. Uh, uh, well, now, but that's not the only thing you guys are involved in, right? There's, there's more to the story. What, 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 yeah. what more is going on? Well, um, last year, uh, in the midst of all of the, the lockdowns, and um, we launched uh, T4L, Transportation for Life. Mm-hmm. And that is uh, an incredible company. It's, it's, the timing is so perfect as well, mm-hmm. speaking of timing. Um, and all-inclusive EV, uh, electric vehicle subscription um, company that mm-hmm. provides white glove service and all inclusive, you know, even charging and maintenance and insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, and it saves you, you know, 10 to 20% on buying or, you know, financing or leasing a, a vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't have to go through all the brain damage mm-hmm. and the time. You right. just get your car, you re- ride it. And when you're done, you want to swap it. You want to get a different one, you do it. It's like an iPhone. You don't go in and you have to deal with like a new insurance, a new this, a new that, go to the DMV. None of that is needed any longer. Mm -hmm. So that business, um, uh, we put it on, tested the thesis on WeFunder, got four times oversubscribed on the crowdfunding round, and it's currently at Start Engine. And um, we didn't necessarily do it as much for the money as more towards a test casing. The reception of it mm-hmm. we found that you know 30 percent of the investors became subscribers wow. so it was a great way to be, build um, um you know brand loyalty yeah uh, because their owners and subscribers 
uh, as well. And as you can see with the Hertz, you know, just ordering a hundred thousand, you know, Teslas. Teslas, right? You know, we're, uh, you know, our timing couldn't be more, you know, impeccable in regards to this transition. And ultimately, it's we're accelerating the adoption of uh, EVs and uh, a distributed charging infrastructure because each one of our facilities comes with a, a charger. Mm-hmm. So you're really building that uh, distributed um, infrastructure. Um, and we are working on, uh, we have plans to build 100 electric vehicles experience centers uh, across the country. Now, there's a guy that comes to mind because I just want to reference him here to sort of get in the record uh, of the of the podcast. But Steve Jurvetson comes to mind. Um, I don't know if you know who he is. He's a big time investor from Silent Hill Road. Uh, big fan of Elon Musk's. I think he and Elon Musk kind of know each other, kind of thing. But Jurvetson's, cool. you know, he he started something uh, kind of a storied firm in Sand Hill Road named uh, Draper Fisher Jurvetson. Obviously, his namesake. And then he's gone off on his own to start investing in a lot of things you're describing. The reason I bring him up though is. It sounds like, and and, and there's a couple of questions I'm going to get to. One is, what's the cross-pollination between um, creating the biographene and uh, um, uh, biomaterials that you're creating out of the carbon capture? And how is that then being used in this now EV kind of ride-sharing, car-sharing? Because I see some overlap there. So I'm going to to start there. But where it's leading me to, though, is... It really sounds like you guys are at the beginning stages of being kind of a an ESG-like incubator because you got a couple different things going on. There's a consistent thesis or theme to all these things, but they they kind of interlock with each other a little bit. Yeah, it is. Uh, I think that the biggest trends of the next twenty or thirty years are going to be all about decarbonization and electrification. Yep, uh, that's where we're be focusing. Yep. Um, we had uh, an initial. Sustainable Development Goal Assessment uh, at uh, ninety six point eight, and the average benchmark in the U.S. is uh, thirty seven. So there's a long way for everyone to grow up in the uh, in the in the world of creating more value than just dollars and cents. Totally, totally, yeah, absolutely. And this is I mean, again, kind of go back to the example of investors: thirty percent, forty percent become subscribers in this new EV vehicle kind of fleet concept. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's, that's people literally, and, and, and if you're crowdfunding, these are, you know, uh, mini investors, if you will. They're not the typical institutional, you know, high net worth, but kind of the average Joe, but there's a lot of enthusiasm behind it. And therefore they're putting their money right where they want to see this stuff happen. So in a way you're kind of letting the market dictate the company and where it's going. Yeah. That's the kind of the, the, uh, the B2C component. Uh, with the crowdfunding and having direct engagement and providing that, you know, um, you know, direct access. And that mm-hmm. was really it taught us a lot. And it actually allowed us to learn a lot of questions and scenarios that we didn't otherwise think of um, by just talking to some, you know, investment banker, yep. um, you know, so now really we were building and customizing and taking from experiences and learning and talking to people that are instead of just creating an app for this total automation, mm-hmm. you know, really learn and see what the customer needs and what they're looking for, and and almost talk them through it, and then provide them the, the educational background because people don't really have the educational experience or knowledge. You just like I'm just going to subscribe a car. Yep. Uh, yep. So we really have to uh, high touch environment for them to kind of ease their way into saying, yeah, okay, and when do I get it? And wow, yeah, right. Okay. You know, right. and so. I met the first, you know, the first delivery of the first Tesla. The guy was like, this is the best ever. Wow, you, know, wow. you know, you know, bottle of champagne. Was, oh, that's so cool. cool. Well, let me, let me, let me go back to it. So, so let's talk a little bit about the cross-pollination of the materials, right? So yeah. you've got yeah. a company that's building kind of raw materials in the graphene. And I'll just stay focused on graphene for a second, because that is kind of the new, new material of the future for all the properties that you mentioned, kind of, you know, electrical conductivity, um, conductivity, uh, strength, yada, 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 uh, weight, blah, blah, blah. Um, how is that material, are you guys at the early stage of forming, how's that material then kind of migrating into the EV fleet? You know, whether it's batteries or actually It'll, cars themselves. It's going to, it's going to, uh, find its way in a lot of different components, uh, okay. both the battery, the tires, 
Oh. Uh, perhaps even the body uh, itself. Oh. Um, because graphene is an additive. So uh, it can be used in solar panels to make them 20 to 40% more efficient. It can be used in batteries. There's a, 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 an electric uh, car that was released out of China. It's a graphene battery, okay. 620 mile range and so charges just, 80% sorry, just, in eight minutes. Just to be clear though, when you say it's a graphene battery and just, yeah. to, just to clarify, it's, sure. a, it's a traditional lithium style battery with graphene kind of uh mixed into it or how does that there's a few different texts that are looking at both solid state graphene battery and then uh, kind of a hybrid lithium uh graphene you know hybrid type of battery okay um, i don't know exactly the uh the style of battery on the on the chinese car yep. but i was fascinated with the 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 distance Mm -hmm. as well as the recharging speed. Gotcha. Um, and so we'll see more and more of that. In mm -hmm. there, There's already graphene in a lot of things that we just don't even realize in our phones right. and other, other right. things, but um, it's just been prohibitively expensive. Right. And um, it hasn't been able to really be produced in large scale. It's not a, I think, maybe 50,000 tons a year of, of graphene you know, production currently, but globally, you know, globally. So it's yeah. not uh, a, a vastly produced commodity market, you know, right. um, and it's very dirty. It has a very intense carbon footprint. So being right. able to find now what was the most hard to get to most expensive super material mm -hmm. now to be able to be mass produced um, for, you know, hundreds of applications, totally. um, you know, it's 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 impactful for generations for sure. Totally, but it's, but but what's fascinating about the material, and this is what I want to sort of get listeners to sort of tune into, is it's not either or. As you put it, graphene in its current incarnation is an additive material to all sorts of other materials. Um, now there's still applications where it's 100% pure graphene, but we're not because it's so has been historically so prohibitive to uh, uh, manufacture, source, um, yada, yada, for all those reasons, no one was even thinking like, oh, I'm going to have an all solid graphene, you know, uh, plain body or something. Yeah. Right. We're just at right. the very beginning of the applied right. material science of, right. of graphene and its applications, right. uh, especially as, it, as we are able to bring the cost down, you know, by huge margins. Yep. And uh, it really puts it on the, on the usability map for anywhere from concrete to semiconductors and you know, totally. in between. Totally. And then, and then looking again, kind of going into the follow on question, this is though, because your organization or group, you know, is involved in a couple different things that have synergy, right? You're, you're pulling carbon out, you're producing this graphene and the graphene is now being potentially applied to where a lot of people are seeing use cases is in the EV fleets. Right. And there could be multiple other ones. So you kind of have a little bit of an incubator-like feel. Even I don't know if you think of it yourselves that way, yeah. but you kind of have the you know you got the investor history. Now you kind of got the operations of building a couple of companies. But I I get the strong sense that you guys have a roadmap of multiple companies that could spring out of your efforts over the next ten years. You know how how you know at a global corporate oh, yeah. level. Yeah. You know the umbrella is you know you guys are kind of a new age incubator. Is that yeah. That's pretty much uh, what we are. And we, we launched the first uh, carbon negative green bond oh, in the world. Wow. Um, $100 million green bond uh, just last month, this month or you know, a few weeks back. But um, we have, uh, out of all the billions of dollars of green bonds, mm -hmm. none of them have been carbon negative. Right. And so it's... Uh, it's pretty incredible and, and it's convertible. So the people that participate at the bond level and convert into equity actually own all of these things that we're mm -hmm. building and doing. And it's really exciting for, um, for people because a lot of times green bonds were horrible. They, well, they're not horrible. They just, um, they didn't have a really big yield there. Right. It wasn't, and you didn't, you basically had a debt instrument. Now you have some, Get protections, but you don't get the loan to own type of aspect of it. And the kicker 
of that participation over the long run. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we envision, you know, thousands of Carbatura facilities necessary yep. um, around the world. And we're basically looking at it like a Coca-Cola bottling licensing uh, franchise scenario where we can get that speed to scale uh, around the world. Because if we're going to, if we're going to move the needle on capturing as, no, as much carbon as we need to, that's like, you know, we need a hundred thousand of these. Yeah, no, for sure. So, mm-hmm. and again, I don't want to gloss over this because mm-hmm. you, you, you've lived and breathed this for your career, but a hundred million dollar green bond. And let me just get this straight. That's actually the underwriting funding for this incubator concept to an extent. So it's, it's your company's debt mm-hmm. instrument. Mm-hmm. People can buy pieces of it, mm-hmm. but what's different about it now is that, again, that's sort of your input to fund all these activities that you guys are doing. So you, instead of going out to the venture capital and private equity world, you kind of took your experiences from hedge fund and bond management, whatever, and said, all right, well, I'm just, we're just going to launch a $100 million. Here's a $100 million debt instrument mm-hmm. that funds all the activities we're doing in this incubator. People can yeah. come in and buy chunks of that. And oh, by the way, there's a there's a small yield on it like any other bond, but you have the option to convert into equity, which is a complete. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, that's a pretty unique model. I don't know of that in many other investment circles in, right now. In fact, it's a it's an eight percent coupon, and then Jesus. it's a, and then it's a two x conversion of both the interest and the principal into equity. Wow! So ultimately, it's comes out to about one hundred and ninety three percent return on a, you know on a secured debt. Right. Which is, but I mean, again, as a former conversion, obviously. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. But but, yeah, yeah, as a former banker slash investment Mm guy, I'm sitting here going, I'm not sure I've seen a model. Like if I go look at your typical incubators, they're not floating a hundred million dollar debt instrument to fund their activity, which Mm -hmm. is then also convertible by the way, into equity for the people to jump into it. I've not actually heard that before. Yeah, well, it literally allows people to really go for a really, you know, big ride. Yeah, right. Uh, especially at conversion, because as this grows, we're seeing this. I mean, we did a, a video that was done about us that went viral um, over the summer, and then in two th- in August, we were selected as the top fifty most innovative new companies in the world out of one hundred and thirty countries, mm-hmm. and. Um, so the timing was, you know, quite good. And then, but we have had a lot of people reaching out to us asking if they, we could have these facilities in this country, in this country, or this island. And we created an island, dedicated, all-inclusive island plan mm-hmm. uh, for helping them get rid of plastic waste. Totally. Um, you know, provide food, renewable energy, water. You know, totally. a lot of the things that make would help them be more resilient as yep. they are the front lines of climate change. Yep. Yep. I, I, again, I'm just kind of, I mean, I, we've talked before, but I'm, I'm even in real time kind of connecting these dots between your funding uniqueness in, in floating a hundred million dollar bond that people can get involved and anybody, I'm assuming anybody can get involved in it, right? It's you don't uh, have to be credited a, investors. You okay. Know, like uh, you're, you're, yeah. Yep. Okay. Gotcha. Um, but there may be a chance at some point to open it up through a Robin Hood type you know, well, both companies we plan on having public, you know, so yeah, right. we, we, we're, you know, we've, we've already, uh, you know, signed term sheets for, you know, tremendous, uh, investment, um, awesome. uh, at IPO for, for both T4L and Carbatura. Yeah. That's so nice. we've got ourselves, there'll be some announcements in the, in the next, uh, couple of weeks that are showing our relationship with, um, you know, multi-billion dollar investor. That is okay. I mean, super exciting. So let me, let me, let me kind of bring it a little bit forward because really when you kind of look at your LinkedIn profile and get a sense, you kind of have the aura of an investor, right? But then when you peel the, you know, the onion or the curtains pulled back, whatever, you know, it's more of an incubator operator. I mean, there's definitely the investment hedge fund kind of thing going in there, but yeah, yeah. they're more operators. I'm working with, you know, seasoned operators that have built, you know, large, uh, uh, you know, really large companies. Right. Um, and so I've always been dealing with relationships and capital formation yep. and, uh, sharing ideas from, 
brilliant people with brilliant trade thesis with brilliant people with a lot of money mm-hmm. that can mm-hmm. communicate with each other to and I and I tried my best to just be quiet and listen <laughs> and try and retain two percent of the brilliance exchanged right. between the brilliant parties I've managed to bring together. But right. it, you know, those two percent here and there rubs off. It starts starts adding up. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, osmosis, man. I mean, if you're just, if you're fortunate enough to be around, it's going to rub off at some point. I get that. Right. But where I was also going is because you're also a very frequent speaker, right? You're off on panels, you know, and you kind of, you you can wear many hats in the panel. You can be sort of an, you know, I'm an investor in the area. I'm an innovator in the area. Um, You know, we're, we're, you know, thought leaders, whatever the case may be, but, but, you know, when you get tapped to speak, it could be any one of those, right? So, you know, where are you spending a lot of your time kind of because you have a lot of places to go speak at, you've got a great story to go tell, where are you finding the most bang for your buck? I mean, you know, we kind of look to the UN and kind of mixed bag to some extent, you know, and then some of, the, some of these sort of global organizations. I mean, have you found any, but any group that's better than others and who you participated with, you know, that's really bringing the globe's focus on what you guys are doing? Um, actually, uh, we found some great reception in some interesting areas. And um, we're actually talking right now with Reuters. Oh, um, cool. And so they are excited about um, our carbon negative green bond. Okay. And so we're, um, we're about to finalize a, a relationship with them for their upcoming uh, Responsible Business USA okay. in uh, November, and then okay. also in April of next year. So those are some really big events, and they've got massive reach, and they've been mm-hmm. covering the green bond market for some time. Uh, they're it's a little bit more matured in mm-hmm. out of you know Europe, mm-hmm. and um, and so this is the perfect time and the perfect story for carbon negative investments. Yep, absolutely. Now kind of looking forward a little bit again i'm going to go back to the incubator so carbon out of the air graphene kind of launch evs without divulging state secrets here but anything in the future that you guys are looking at to kind of put this graphene or output that you guys are creating to use or is it just for now you got enough on your plate with evs because i I mean i imagine there's Mm -hmm. almost unlimited applications you could go develop Um we there's a lot of applications and uh we're um we're actually in the process of you know acquiring a a graphene company okay and uh they've got a number of graphene patents and this allows them to provide a recipe for uh you know biographing to their fortune 5000 clients and it's basically esg graphene Mm -hmm. you know in a sense and so the, those Fortune 5000s need to decarbonize their supply chains. And so who better than someone that has, you know, dozens and dozens of patents in the space. So it just made, you know, great business sense in that regard. Yep. Um, and, um, and also, we've had great discussions with the Department of Energy um, for both Carbatura as well as uh, T4L. So there's a lot of work we're doing there mm-hmm. um in um in you know more project you know as we scale because this is literally this the amount the number of these things and the, the speed at which we need to transition to electric mobility yep. and the speed at which we need to decarbonize is so massive that we really what we ultimately did was we started a nonprofit mm-hmm. uh called the hot planet repair team Uh, So everyone can just join in, sign on, you know, we need everyone on the planet on board. Um, And we, we're attaching it to a sustainable impact donor advised fund uh, Mm. that go directly to decarbonization and eliminating plastic Mm -hmm. and, you know, remediating water um, being as uh, good a company as we, as, as, or as, as efficient a project uh, as possible Mm -hmm. in its, implementation not the advocacy or the lobbying of it but the actual projects itself mm-hmm. and so uh, people will be able to donate you know anything right. uh, it's just a sustainable impact donor advice fund 
They can in- donate real estate, art, collectibles, crypto cash, and they get the tax write-off at the appraised value at that point. They don't have to actually, um, they don't actually have to um, uh, uh, sell it and then pay the taxes on it and then donate it. They get to yep. donate it at that and then carry that forward on their on their taxes. I see. So we'll match that all those donations. And so that's going to be a blended finance model. I think we call, I, we, I called it um, impact alchemy. So we could you know, really move the needle on uh, getting the, um, the supply chains retooled. Right. Right. I, it's a great name, by the way, impact alchemy. I love that. Yeah. Um, now any, so graphene is obviously the heart kind of somewhat heart and soul of what you guys are also producing. Are there any other materials that you guys are flirting with as an output of your direct carbon capture? Uh, yeah, well, uh, uh, biographite is, okay. is one, um, yep. and that allows us to instantly draw into a multi-billion-dollar right. uh, industry um, yep. as a carbon-negative graphite right. um, at uh, at a price that's uh, more competitive mm-hmm. um, and higher quality. Yep. Gotcha. gotcha. Uh, so uh, we can really focus on that, um, but we can also even you know focus on you know activated carbon, which is mm-hmm. what's in air and water filtration, you right. know, uh, supply chains already. Yep. Um, but you know, I I with what we're doing in the graphene space, most I think really it'll be uh, graphite and, and and graphene and some and I, and since I'm more in the capital stack, um, yep. You know, the mad scientists yep. are you know, laughing at my, my limited answer. James, we're not here. We're not here to get you on the chemical engineering and properties and all that sort yeah, of stuff. Applied right? material like, sciences. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You and I would, yeah, we're, we're, we're the blind leading the blind on that one. So I'd, yeah, I'm no, we're, we're no help on that. But now as an investor though, and you're looking forward and trying to find use cases for whether it's biographene um, or biographite. Um, and we've obviously talked about cars, but, you know, and we've talked about adding it as, you know, in, in 3D printing potentially or something like that. But are there anything in the horizon where you guys are looking to push that material other than just the raw material, right? Like, I mean, the, the used, the EV car is, you guys are jumping feet first into, you know, direct consumer application. Mm-hmm. You could also, and, but it sounds like you're also wholesaling these materials out to people who then use it in a bunch of different ways. So the yeah, question we want to be yeah. the producer. Of the okay. raw materials, I don't think uh, for now. Yeah. Um, as we, you know, basically from the standpoint of the, our acquisition of the graphene company, that was a, you know, very strategic um, play. Totally. Um, and I think it ultimately is um, perhaps something of a target as we look, you know, and grow and what we do and and find companies that are innovators, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but. Uh, uh, Alan has been involved with about you know forty or fifty M and A transactions, so he speaks that language of of um, deal making and strategic alignment and collaborating and and team building. So it's really been a a, a phenomenal learning experience to mm-hmm. be by his side and see uh, and also you know uh, the input and value of our team that uh, on our meetings. Yep. Is, uh, th- there's there's no substitute for gray hair. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> there you go. Gotcha. Yeah, right. Exactly. So so just going to kind of wind down a little bit, but I also want to recap. So Gravitas Infinitum is the parent company, if I'm not mistaken, right? Mm-hmm. And then Carbon Carbonatura is the direct carbon capture from the air. Yeah, that's a subsidiary division. And then we have um, T4. Pharrell. T Pharrell. That's yeah, right. Yeah. And then, it, but and then, then uh, yeah. the nonprofit is yeah. the people. F- the nonprofit is, uh, we built that as basically, uh, uh, they are, our blended finance approach to, right. uh, solving the problem and allowing everybody to participate yep. at any level yep. they wish. Gotcha. Gotcha. And the nonprofit again was called. Oh, Hot Planet Repair Team. 
Hot Planner Repair Team, which is another great one. I don't know who's buying the marketing stuff with you guys, but some great names so far, right? Uh, love that. Very entrepreneurial set we've got. Very much. <laughs> and so, and you guys looking forward now, kind of coming out as we're seeing a lot more uh, enthusiasm um, or, uh, you know, getting together, conferences are starting happening. Where are we going to find you guys? What do you guys got planned over kind of, you know, when we get into 2022? You know, where are you guys spending your time? Where are you speaking? Are you spending more time in Europe, North America, Asia, all of the above? Um, it might be all of the above. Um, I really, we really want to focus on the U.S. right now, but we yep. have had interests uh, overseas and in island and island nations yep. uh, to participate. We've had some international interest on expanding uh, T4L also, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, you know, ultimately we, you know, we uh, we live in Naples, Florida, and we have our teams, you know, across the country and even around the world now. Um, so we've got, we really wanted to focus on the U S, uh, at first, but yep. as, as the speed to scale, uh, we, we're not shy of, you know, bringing this to the world, especially on the Carbatura front mm -hmm. with, uh, its impact, its project financeability and, mm -hmm. um, the scalability that's necessary. Yep. Um, yep. there's 1.7 million active oil wells in the United States alone. And we capture carbon out of the atmosphere at a third the price. Right. right. So you figure how many of these are going to be around the yep. world. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, I mean, Bernard Looney from BP should be your guys' best friend, given his emphasis on you know getting off fossil fuels for the entire company. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, listen, I'm going to wrap up because we're, we're, we're hitting the hour. As all of these things do, it's like you blink and an hour goes by. I could have spent the next 10 hours with you easy. So, you know, would love to, you know, we're obviously going to stay in touch. But, um, you know, just, just a wonderful conversation, wonderful human story in meeting you and all the things you went through, your books out there about your trials and tribulations and getting your child back. You know, some congratulations there. But, you know, definitely call out, shout out to that because it's just a fascinating story. And then, then on top of it, you know, parlaying into what you guys are doing, which is, you know, creating a really unique uh, investment vehicle through a green bond to fund all these really cool incubation ideas. Um, I mean, that itself is a, a story. On it. I mean, there's just so many little stories in here that you could really expand. I mean, it's it's really pretty amazing. Well, I think the only book I'm going to write is the one about rescuing my son from Bangladesh. The next is the next is going to be history because uh, <laughs> we're changing the world. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, listen, thank you so much, Tyler, for spending time with us. Uh, really wonderful conversation. And uh, we'll be talking very soon. Fantastic. Thanks, Richard. This is Richard Donaldson. Thanks for listening. If you have any comments about the episode or topics in supply chain you'd like us to explore, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at supplychainnext at requis.com. And while you're at it, why not check out the Requis platform at supplychain.requis.com. Requis allows you to manage the full asset lifecycle in the cloud, collaborating with your entire value network to buy, manage, and sell your assets. Find out more at www.requis.com.